Whitehead drives to the hole, hangs, and what? Isaiah Whitehead ties it up at 67. Outlet pass, Archidiakono, front court, slips, fires, and that's it! The Seton Hall Pirates defeat Villanova, 69-67, and for the first time in 23 years, their Big East Tournament champion. For the latest in Seton Hall basketball and Seton Hall athletics, this is Courtside Pirates with Chris Pazes. Seton Hall the lead with 1.1 second to go. What a shot by Miles Pond. Thompson shows it. Kale steps back, lets it fly. Miles Kale, 84-83. And Seton Hall knocks off the number nine team in the nation. 84-83. This weekly podcast will recap every men's basketball game throughout the Pirates' season. Pow! From Trenton! Woo! What Trenton makes, the world takes! With special guests along the way, Courtside Pirates will dive into the Pirates' season after every game, giving you my thoughts and opinions as Seton Hall looks to return to the NCAA tournament. McKnight will inbound. Powell, they throw it up the Mambo, and it goes at the buzzer! Oh my goodness! This is Courtside Pirates with Chris Pazes. There is no better way to kick off the final stretch of the Big East regular season than being joined by the voice of the Big East Conference himself, John Fanta. Welcome and thank you for joining. My name is Chris Pazes, the host of Courtside Pirates. John returns for the second time to Courtside Pirates to discuss all the latest from the Seton Hall men's and women's basketball programs as both teams' regular seasons get set to conclude and the focus will start to shift with each respective programs heading to the Big East Championship Tournament. But there's still a lot to play for for the Seton Hall Pirates, both the men's and the women's program. And both teams are coming in on a whirlwind over the past few weeks. John was gracious enough to carve out some time out of his busy schedule to join us on this episode. And you will certainly be glad you did as he had a ton to discuss on both programs. I would also love to hear from you. Follow me on Twitter at Pazis, that is at P-A-I-Z-I-S, and reach out with any questions you have as they could be answered on an upcoming show. Also, if you are listening on Apple Podcasts, please consider leaving a review for the show by scrolling down on the podcast page. And now, an exciting interview with the one and only John Fanta. Joining me once again on Courtside Pirates is my friend who is becoming a living legend in the college basketball world, especially in the Big East Conference, John Fanta. One of my absolute favorite people to talk college basketball with. John has been a busy man this year wearing many hats throughout the season. You may have heard him as a play-by-play broadcaster for Fox Sports, calling games on the Big East Digital Network, or as the host of the Big East Shootaround. John covers a wide variety of events and has been the true voice of the conference since 2017 while making pit stops at the NCAA Tournament Final Four along the way. The final stretch of the regular season is here, John. Welcome to Courtside Pirates. 
It is great to be on Courtside Pirates again, Chris. Thank you so much for having me. It's the best time of year. The, the calendar is about to flip to the month that we all wait for, a month that for those in South Orange and beyond who, who cheer for the blue and white, you have to be encouraged about the way that those Seton Hall Pirates are going into March after a, a game on Saturday that I was able to watch from start to finish. A very encouraging road performance at Xavier. Yeah, it was a dominating performance, John. We're going to get into all that. But first, I want to talk about you. You've, you're a busy man to track. This past week, it feels like you've been on the road nonstop. Where have some of the most recent stops been from you in the last couple of weeks? Well, I'll just give you the last week. So last Tuesday was in Hartford for UConn and Villanova. What a, a big-time matchup that was. Dan Hurley getting ejected in the first half of the game. The place going absolutely crazy. And obviously, James Breeding's name brought into all of this as he tossed Danny Hurley. It, it's all for theater. It, 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 it happened. It was a reputation ejection. Well, then Connecticut shows why they've developed the reputation they've had as a program with really a culminating moment for them in their return to the Big East. They win that game. I cover that game. I drive to Providence about an hour. Wednesday night, cover Providence Xavier. Who would have thought that this game ends up being a triple overtime game? Unbelievable to cover that game and get quotes after. And then, Chris, I was scheduled to head back to New Jersey on Thursday of last week to fly out to Chicago to call Seton Hall and DePaul. And then the next night, or excuse me, the, uh, on Sunday, St. John's and Marquette in women's basketball. Two women's games that ended up being great games. I, I did not call those games because an hour after the game ended between Providence and Xavier, I got a call from my bosses at Fox because they had a late change with their schedule and they had asked me if I would be able to call Providence and Creighton on Saturday night at the dunk as the Friars tried to win their first Big East regular season championship in program history. And to call that moment on Saturday night still gives me chills here as I sit down with you on this Monday afternoon because it was absolutely incredible what, what I got to witness alongside my partner, Donnie Marshall, on Saturday. The Friars winning 72-51. to 51. It was a party from the moment people walked into the Dunkin' Donuts Center, and the party never ended in Friartown. What a special moment for that program. Ed Cooley deserves National Coach of the Year for the job he's done. A spectacular, spectacular evening for Providence College, one that will live on forever. A program picked seventh in the Big East, seventh. They might be a tournament team is what people said going into the year. I don't know. A lot of questions around this program right now. They, they can't seem to find their traction. Chris, that was legendary on Saturday night. First Big East regular season crown in program history. Dave Gavitt had a dream in 1979. And one of Providence's own, Ed Cooley, made it come true on Saturday. It was incredible, uh, John. I think it was very special for you to be there, obviously, being so close to the program. But just that was just a huge atmosphere. Uh, from start to finish, it just looked like there was no shot that Providence was going to walk away that game without winning. And, you know, talking about admiration for what Providence is, 
you're like a living legend up there, John. Uh, these Providence fans, they adore you. Uh, you know, sometimes I forget that we went to college together. And see it all. <laughs> what is it about Providence and you being up there that the fans have just found a way to really embrace you? Well, like Brian Custer was embraced by Seton Hall fans, when you don't lose and I'm in the building, you develop some sort of synonymous friendship with those two things. Nobody likes to lose. So when the fans see me walk into the Dunkin' Donuts Center, they think we're going to win. Now the team's got to play and the coach has to coach. And Providence only lost one time the whole season at the dunk. So told the, told the horses here before we, we start just saying that it's my lucky streak. However, I was assigned there a bunch by Fox Sports this year. As you know, Chris, you watch these games. Sometimes the commentators are there. A lot of times they're not. Well, this year, Providence had a lot of in-person FS1 games, just the way that things shook out, and they don't really have a Providence local guy. So I ended up calling that really my second home. It felt like a first home for the majority of this season, and they did not stop winning. They did not stop winning. And uh, I'll give the piece of advice to people in the industry. And and someday um, I will talk about this, I think, more in length once it, once it's further removed. But, you know, Chris, they were picked seventh in the Big East preseason poll. They were not a, thought to be a top 25 team. So as a result, Providence didn't have a lot of Fox games, the big Fox games with Gus Johnson or with Tim Brando or with Joe Davis, one of those big voices, Brandon Gordon, who had the Pirates on Saturday. He does a terrific job. I'm not at that level at 26. I'm not getting a Fox broadcast channel game, which means that my collection of games typically comes on FS1. Well, you want to call Providence the luckiest team? I'm a lucky broadcaster because I ended up being in the right place at the right time. And we talk about this industry. It's all about availability, being in the right place at the right time, stay shot ready. You know, I, they, they gave me the, the games in January. I did a bunch of Providence games. And I think they thought, you know, hey, these are, these are our FS1 Providence. You know, they're in the middle of the league, but let's give this kid more of a shot this season. Well, they ended up going on a run, run of a lifetime. And uh, I felt like I just did too, you know, because I'm, I'm humbled to say that. Really humbled to say that. So, man, it's, it's been special. And, and to develop that kind of bond with their fan base, it's, it's like that voice of an NBA team almost. When you're doing every home game, you become part of the family. I feel like part of the family, and I'm grateful that they've welcomed me because there's nothing like a community in the way they embrace a team. So to the Providence fans out there, I appreciate you, and I'm amazed by the way things shook out. But thank you for, uh, thank you for embracing me with open arms. Yeah, you know, John, listen, first and foremost, you have to play the games, as you said. And I think Coach uh, Cooley deserves all the credit for what he did with this program. I think he's one of the best coaches in the country. I've always said he's a top coach in this conference, regardless of what teams are in this conference. I, I have a lot of respect for what Cooley does, but you know what, for you, it's, it's, it's great because you know, you were put in a situation where you could succeed and you get the exposure. So, you know what, just looking at it, it's like, it just, you could hear it in your voice. You're, you must be so happy just to be back to some sense of normalcy with games and broadcasts and heading into now the Big East Championship Tournament and just knowing that it's going to be a real setting. Yes, and it's the 40th Big East Tournament at Madison Square Garden, the 40th. And I can't think of a better stage for this year's event than what we are about to have. You have a league that could send seven teams to the NCAA Tournament. You have a couple teams that are starting to put together really good basketball. 
you have some teams that are trying to respond uh, from, from little slumps, but everybody comes to New York and, and you walk into the building this year and you think to yourself, we've got a chance. We've got a chance from one to 11, even 11, even Georgetown for how, for how bad they've been this year. There's guys on that team that are walking in thinking I've never lost at the garden. Don't plan on doing it today. You know, they're not going to win the Big East tournament. But you know what I'm saying? Everybody believes they have a chance. And this year, Chris, it feels like it. The Big East is deep. They're going to send over half their league to the big dance. You have, I could see any of five teams winning the Big East tournament. I have never said that in my time covering the league. I've said two, maybe three. This year, there are five teams, maybe even a sixth that could come away the champion. And that is the beauty of the Big East. That's what people established a love for it on. And in this newly configured league, I think people were like, oh, you know, it's, it's good, but it's not the old Big East tournament. This is the closest thing we've had to that, man. Like the, the quarterfinal Thursday is going to be bonkers crazy with games. Oh, those games are going to be insane, John. Um, you know, I, I think you bring up a good point. You know, the people also bring up the old Big East, the new Big East. I was a student during the old Big East. Those games were electric. I mean, the Kemba, I still think about being at every single one of the Kemba Walker games. I, I was there for that, and it was electric. But the way these games have been played out this year, there are a, a lot of teams this year you could see making a run. And I think it goes back to what you said. Providence came into the season as the seventh team on paper, which I always take those with a grain of salt. I also look at that when you look at the actual players, the preseason Big East, you know, the preseason Big East names, you always go in with a certain expectation. Do you feel that going to be shifting to an award season comes out? Because I feel like there's been a 180 in terms of what people expected out of certain guys at the start of this year versus where this, these guys are now. Yeah. Yeah. T- teams evolve. They take on different identities. Providence is one of those, those teams Look at Seton Hall. Look at this season. Ebbs and flows. Mm -hmm. You get off to a historic start. You get a historic win at Michigan. Michigan doesn't turn out to be what you thought they'd be. They're still a good enough team and could hear their name call on Selection Sunday. But you go on that run where you beat Texas, you beat Rutgers, and people are thinking, this is a team that could be a four or five seed in the NCAA tournament. Well, guess what? That's not how the marathon always goes. And for Seton Hall, it had its lows. It had a bad January. It had a swoon. And the Bryce Aiken concussion, it, it crushed some major momentum. You know, if Seton Hall wins that game at Marquette, that'll be a game we look back on this season. That's a, that's a real, it's still one that, that has to tug at, at the, the heartstrings of, of people because if they win that game, it might be a, a season turner and you get a great quadrant one win that then springboards you ahead. Okay, they don't. You, you then go into February and you say, is this season going to get salvaged? Or is this team going to fall all the way out of the NCAA tournament picture after getting off to an amazing start? Kind of like what we saw in 2014-15 when they had beaten St. John's and Villanova. Well, look, this team now has put it together. I mean, they've, they've won six of their last eight games. They've played much better basketball, and now they go into March doing what a Kevin Willard team typically does around this time of year, having some momentum on their side. A season is a marathon, and you might, you might make a projection on a team in November or December, but that doesn't mean that's who they actually are. Teams evolve. Look at Marquette. Chris, what do you think of Marquette in November? What do you think of them now? Two yeah. totally different thoughts. 
Yeah, it's a one eighty. I think it goes with it's, it's like that in any sport. You know, you have to play the full season for a reason. And I think you know January was an absolute killer. But coach Coach Kevin Willard teams have done that before uh, yep. multiple times. It, it happens. There's a reason why people yep. refer to it as a January swoon. But I look at it with Bryce Aiken, and you know, I don't want to harp on him too much because the team has been playing well, John. But I think it's a fair question: Is this team right now better off with him not returning this year, with the way the team is clicking because of what Kadari Richmond is doing and what Jameer Harris is doing, stepping up? Are they better off than just hope? hoping he comes back and is healthy first and foremost, but are they better off as a team dynamic right now going into this stretch, not having him in the lineup? Yeah, they are because they've meshed now. They've found a connection and they are in a place where, look, if you get Bryce Aiken back, he's very talented and he could, if, if he's at a hundred percent, but at this point, if he's been out for as long as he's been, what evidence does anyone have to say that he's going to be at a hundred percent? It could take them some time for him to get reaccustomed to what's going on and and to get their other guys accustomed to playing alongside him again. There's not enough time. It's not like you have 15 games left. You have at minimum, you're guaranteed Seton Hall fans taste this for a second. There are four games left that you're guaranteed guaranteed. Okay. You got a Georgetown game at Creighton your first game of the Big East tournament, and they're not missing the NCAA tournament. They've done too much to miss it in the first game of the NCAAs. You hope that you have eight games left. But the point is, or, or nine or ten, whatever, you hope that you have that many left. The point is now, to me, it's too late. This team is meshing. I think they have found something here over the last ten days in just the way that they have played offensively. It's been sharper. And I thought on Saturday, Seton Hall was running their stuff at ease, at ease. Kadari Richmond is the single most important player on this team at the moment. The reason being, if he's backing people down, posting up, finishing at the rim, staying efficient, if he stays efficient, and Chris, if he scores the ball, and if he proves he is capable of hitting a jumper, he doesn't have to hit every jumper, is he capable of it? If he is knocking down shots... Seton Hall becomes a really dangerous team because you have a point guard who's in rhythm. You have a wing in Jared Roden who you have to, you got to stay honest on Richmond. So you can't develop too much pressure on Roden. And you've got Alexis Yedna, Trey Jackson, an elite shot blocker in Obiago. And of course, Jameer Harris, who's shown better signs as of late. This team as they're currently constructed now has a rhythm. Any attempt to mess with that at this point could, could have hurt them. It could end up hurting them. So I'm of the belief that, look, Bryce Aiken's talented. If you get him back and he's contributing, that's good. But could it hurt them? Yes. And there might be a better chance of it hurting them than there is of it helping them. So at this point, the way you are is the way you are. So my answer is this team that's out there that was out there on Saturday at Xavier, let them ride this way. The overarching thing there is Kadari Richmond, John. It's because of Kadari Richmond, because the team has been able to get that source that they desperately needed. And I think, honestly, it has drastically improved Jared Roden's season from an yes. overall view perspective. Because when you were coming into February, in my opinion, Jared Roden had not lived up to his senior year hype and expectations. He just hadn't. He, he hadn't had to also be the guy. But at the same time, he, his shot selection was off. His, his game was off a little bit. And he has really stepped it up in the last few games. He had a career-high 30 on Saturday but at the same point John it goes back again to while Kadari Richmond's been a guy Jared Roden's also had to step up a lot in these last few games and has really made a big difference 
Yeah, he's he's shooting the basketball with his two feet set. And I know that's really, really basic stuff. But Jared Roden's got to have his feet set, squared, and level for him to hit perimeter shots. He looks calmer. He looks more composed. He looks experienced. I think earlier this year, he was trying to do too much. He was trying to be this superstar. Jared, you don't have to be anyone different from who you've been throughout your career. It's just now you're going to be featured more. You're going to get the ball more. But just be you. Just be you. And I think that that's what he's doing right now. Jared Roden's being the best version of himself because he's just he's been content on his game. And Chris, on his best day, his game is all Big East first team level. No questions asked. So I think Roden is definitely more comfortable. But when Roden is able to play off a point guard, you know, Miles Powell's best basketball came playing off of Quincy McKnight, who made things happen for him. Um, go right down the line. Go right down the line. When Kadeen Carrington was in sync, Angel Delgado and Desi Rodriguez and Ishmael Sonogo were in sync. When Madison Jones, an underrated transfer pickup, when he was in sync, the guys, those guys that were seniors then, they played off of Maddie really well. Kevin Willard's got to have a point guard. So Richmond has developed into a much better player than what he's been at times. He, the, the question is, can he remain consistent? If he remains consistent, Seton Hall could win the Big East tournament. They're that good. Like, they're going to be in every game. They defend and rebound the basketball well. They protect the rim. You better hit some threes against them or else you're in for a very long night. So I, I look at Seton Hall, and I know that they just barely survived past DePaul and Butler. But to me, Saturday was a clincher. You know, it's it just they found something. And they've shown Chris bits and pieces of it against those teams that they previously faced. They couldn't put 40 minutes together. I finally felt like they put a 40-minute package together. And sometimes when you put 40 minutes together, it then carries over. It carries over. So now, on Wednesday night, can they command Georgetown? Not beat them, command them. That's what I look for on Wednesday night. Can you come out and can you put together another convincing win? I think that's fair, John, because I think you look at this team. Uh, personally, the game on Saturday, I thought that was the best passing that they've had all season in a game. I, oh, I, I no really, question. Really, uh, they were really crisp. And I know Coach Willard after the game said the same thing. He, he was really happy with how the team played. And I agree with you. I think the game against Georgetown has to be that type of dominating performance. You can't have even a letdown where you let them get into the game. It's senior night. You have to have the fans show up. You have to get the crowd going. But, you know, there's still games to be played. There's a reason why you play these games, John. What is the scouting report on this Pirate team right now? You know, they've had such a roller coaster season, but a Georgetown coming in, Creighton at home. What are they what are they doing now to try to prevent this team from continuing this stretch that they're on? Yeah, so if I'm if I'm the opponent here and I look at what what would I do to scout Seton Hall? I'd say, okay, here's the first thing we have to do. We have got to get in Richmond's grill and get him disrupted. Disrupt Kadari Richmond's offense. Make it hard for him to, to get posted up. Right now, Chris, he's taking the ball from the wing and he's backing down a defender and Seton Hall's clearing out. If there's any extra pressure put on Richmond defensively, what he's doing is he's kicking it to Trey Jackson. He's kicking it to Roden. He's kicking it to Cal, who are good catch-and-shoot shot makers. That's what's happening right now is teams are having trouble disrupting Kadari. And Kadari Richmond, because of his frame and his length and his passing ability, he's a dangerous player. 
if he's the head of this snake, and I know some pirate fans may be like, are you kidding me? You're saying this right now? But he is because Roden can't create shots for others. Richmond can. And to me, if I'm, a, if I'm an opponent, I'm saying, what do we do to disrupt Richmond? You got to find a way to disrupt him or get him off kilter, get him off balance offensively. And then the other thing is be willing to live with certain things. If I were an opponent, I would be willing to live with Alexis Yetna taking perimeter shots. I would also say, guys, what do we do early in the game to attack Obiagu? Get him in foul trouble. Get Ike Obiagu uncomfortable. So then it forces Kevin Willard's hand to saying, okay, I got to play Tyree Samuel. I got to play Alexis Yetna together tonight. I can't play Obiago. He's in foul trouble or they're quicker than us. We got to change. Those are some of the principles that I would observe. Uh, but, but I think the biggest thing is you look at Seton Hall from a Ken Palm standpoint, and they are 65 in offense. They're 25 in defense. When a team that's 65 in Ken Palm offense is making shots, that 25th ranked Ken Palm defense turns into a top 15 Ken Palm defense. So you got to get Seton Hall's offense off balance because if, if, if they're able to set things up defensively, I, from an offensive standpoint, if I'm an opponent, it's hard. It's hard to score the basketball on Seton Hall when they're set up in the half court. It's a lot of good content, John. I think that's a fair point because I think, you know, the dynamic of Ike Obiago makes a huge difference in terms of being able to set the tempo early in the game. But it comes down to Richmond because he's the floor general. So you're going to live and die by his either mistakes or his successes. And it's really worked for them in the last few games. But, John, I, I want to also take you off a little bit off from seeing Hall for a moment and kind of talk about you because I think people know you as the broadcaster. They know you as a host, but there's a lot that goes into what you do. And if anything, I think you're a content creator and a storyteller in a lot of ways too, with the work that you do with the Big East conference. So I want to pull the curtain back of like the wizard of Oz. And I want to kind of see from you like, and, and tell us like what happens behind the scenes to kind of get to these previews at well-known restaurants, interviews on the streets in New York. So what, what is it about that that you like doing and what's that process actually like? Yeah, well, I, I love doing it. And that's, that's one of the roles that, that people don't fully, I think, understand. So I host Big East Shootaround, which is a weekly show that's broadcast on Big East YouTube and Twitter. This show is done uh, typically out of a New York studio, but still with what COVID has been, it, it appears, I'm knocking on wood, that it is really now behind us, which is great. Uh, but but it had been in a New York studio. This year, we've been taking it on the road into buildings, into arenas. Also, we develop uh, partnerships. So that that's done through a, a separate guy at the Big East Conference, Chris, who sets up sponsorship deals with different restaurants and different businesses. And if there's a business out there that's listening and wants to talk further, I would love to discuss with you uh, because we we take our show on location to restaurants and businesses, typically before a big game in that market. We went to Stout right across from Madison Square Garden. If you're a Pirate fan and you're going to the Big East Tournament, you know this bar. If you don't know the bar, you've been living under a rock. Uh, We went to Bears Smokehouse in Hartford, right in downtown Hartford. It was filled up for the UConn-Villanova game. And we do the show in front of fans. We bring on special guests. That's something that I do in season. But I also cover games for digital as well. My Twitter account, at John, J-O-H-N underscore Fanta, F is in Frank, A-N-T-A, for those who have not seen it. That, uh, that's, that's my Twitter account with all the videos, the interviews, the content, the photo, 
all that you need. And for me, Chris, that's how this all started. You know, it started at Seton Hall, really started at St. Ignatius High School in Cleveland. I called games. I, I did content there, but I didn't do a bunch of interviews. And I also didn't do a bunch of like social media hits and things like that. That space has evolved so much over the last decade, but it really evolved during my time at Seton Hall. And that's how I became kind of who I am. And I'm so grateful for the Pirates. I mean, I will always, always say this. I'm not who I am without Seton Hall University. And uh, it's a place that gave me opportunities from the start. It's a place that had welcoming people like yourself. You were older than me, are older than me, and you, you helped me kind of learn the ropes of the radio station WSOU. And, and then I met people from athletics that helped me get in with the Pirate Sports Network. But I worked for the Satoni, and I worked for Pirate TV. I always laughed when there were competitors from different outlets at games and like for student media, and they'd be like, you know, oh, this is why I do SOU, or this is why I do Pirate TV, or that. Seton Hall is a place with great people all across the campus, whether it be in academics, whether it be in athletics, whether it be in administration, in admissions, in wherever school it is. So I just tried to stay involved on the campus. And, you know, there's that saying, right? We have enough. Like in this room, we have enough. Seton Hall is not Syracuse. It's not Fordham. It's not Newhouse. It's not, we got enough at Seton Hall. We got more than enough to win, to win both a basketball game and a degree and after a degree. I interned at CNBC and Westwood One and Fox Sports, did things I never imagined then. And the reason why uh, I'm successful now is because I learned so much then. And I learned two things more than anything, stay humble and be a good person. And uh, those are the two things I just carry with me. So that, that, that's a long answer to your question of what's the other side of what you do. I mean, I just got off the phone with our, our production team for Big East shoot around at Madison square garden. We talked for a good hour about how are we going to produce this show? What's it going to look like? I have a cast of people uh, that, that because of relationships, I've asked them to join me on, on the set next week. You will see this. Uh, I, we are not releasing yet. We have one of the all time basketball legends, joining us all week at Madison Square Garden. And, and it's, it's because of a friendship that we just developed. And that, that goes back to staying humble and being a good person. I asked this person, I said, hey, we cannot pay you what you've made at other stops. You made an absurd amount of money. Would you still come on and come on for the week? He was like, yeah, I'm there. And that's the type of stuff that I really enjoy is the relationships part of it, the interviewing, interviewing players and coaches and doing that social media content. Be a yes man. Be versatile. I can't call a game every day. I don't. I called one game last week. So for me, how do I keep myself busy? Because you're a runner too. We got we to gotta be in it. We got to be going. And uh, for me, like that's, that's why like this week for Fox Sports at the women's tournament, I'm doing play-by-play for the first two days. And for the semifinals and final, I'll be in the studio. They have an on-site studio this year. I'll be with my partner, Kim Adams, Lisa Byington, and Sarah Kustak will call the action. But Fox may not hire me, Chris, if I'm not willing to do the studio. So that's where versatility really helps yourself in this industry. So my advice to people when they ask about my career path is, say yes, stay versatile. You might like one thing over another, 
but do it. Be open to the possibility. It'll only help you. It's a good answer, John. I think you don't give yourself enough credit for how hard you worked at it too, because honestly, you, you, I saw you from your first day at Seton Hall to your career now, and you've grown in the roles that you've been in. You've been willing to be a part of different opportunities. And honestly, like you said, you get a good break and you got a chance to really make something out of it. And it, it goes back to that, that you're not just one dimensional, which I think is also what resonates with a lot of people as well, because you're not just that one type of person. But I think, you know, going back to the, the actual game itself for Seton Hall, and I, I look at this, John, and you mentioned Alexis Yetna. And I'm struggling to think about who he reminds me of, of a former player, be it a Seton Hall player or not. But when you look at a yet Alexis Yetna, I, I think yeah. he has really done a great job this year of adapting, A, to Seton Hall style basketball, B, yeah. adapting to Big East level of play in basketball. He, he's close to averaging a double-double for the season. Uh, what is it about him and who does he even remind you of? Because I, I'm really struggling to find someone to, to compare him to. It's hard to find a comparison to him. But he plays the game with the passion of Angel Delgado. He does not have the talent that Angel had, but he plays the game with the passion, the the wherewithal. But his game resembles, it's the closest thing that we've seen since Patrick Gauda. So Patrick was a lefty. He was bigger than Lex, but Patrick could stretch the floor with a perimeter shot and had the capabilities to have big rebounding performances. Uh, I I think that they're different players, but I look at the lefty element. I look at the post presence element of it. I I think that there's a kind of a crossover there, Uh, but look, there's not many like Alexis yet in this game because it's so different from what I've seen. He's really is. He's dynamic, John. He really is. He's He's very dynamic in different ways. Yeah. And I'm correct. And I should know this because I'm looking now grad student is he, can he come back for one more year? I don't think he can. Right. I don't think he, so, he might get so one I know, more so year. I know Jameer Harris is able to return and He's I know able I, to return and here we are on this podcast. Yeah, and, and Iko Biagu is I think technically able to return as well. Kale cannot, we all know that. Right. And, but I think Yetna can actually come back for one more year. One more year. Be great if he did. Cause he's developed a cult following. Uh, it's a, I'll to, to, to do a deeper dive. I should know that, but sometimes the best is when you don't know and you ask somebody else. And so here's the thing. This kid has really developed in season terrifically. Yeah. And he's, he's following what Grant Billmeyer is putting down. He's doing a terrific job of rebounding the basketball. He defends, he plays hard. I love him. I thought again, against Butler and against Xavier, a couple games, couple games back he was huge he was huge from a rebounding perspective and big time defensively at closing out look this is there he is there he's an energizer bunny you can always count on him chris as long as he stays within himself offensively if the shot's not falling from deep you don't have to take it go ahead take it to the hole young man but i i think he's been a real quality pickup and a guy that you go from South Florida to Seton Hall, that might not be an easy transition. He's made it look easy. He has been a really good pickup. I look at him as a guy like I forget that he's only been on this team for a year, to be completely honest. He's just he's got yes. a different dynamic to him. I think, you know, I think Patrick out is an interesting comparison because I could see it with the lefty. I definitely agree with you on the Delgado 
in terms of his energy. I think there's a part of his speed and athleticism that reminds me a lot of Desi. He's just a very dynamic player. And I, I think that's interesting, but I like the Patrick out of comparison because I do agree with you that like his elements of his game do resemble that. And then we just touched on Jameer Harris a little bit, John, are you, are you impressed overall with his performance late down the season? Uh, I think he's got, a great wherewithal to be able to score, score. but um, overall, you know, he's really stepped up the last couple of games and, you know, there, there's talks about his younger brother coming now and all this kind yeah. of stuff. So where's, where is he right now in, in your mind going into the, uh, the end of the season? Well, I think that he's, he's done about as good of a job as they could have asked when you lose Aiken and, and then you have to have Jameer carry the ball up the floor from time to time. Look, he's handling the role. Okay. He's handling the role. Okay. I think I probably expected him early in the season, earlier in the season or in the middle of the year to maybe shoot the basketball a little bit better from beyond the arc. But overall, he, he's been good. He, he's been a quality addition. Another guy that's exemplified the power of the portal. The power of the portal for Seton Hall. Because Jameer Harris is a great example of this, Chris. At American, he was a bucket getter in every way. Here at Seton Hall, you're not going to be the bucket getter that you were at American. Can you still fit a role? How many guys, Chris, transfer up and they struggle a lot? Jameer had his struggles. He had some struggles. But there's a lot of guys who totally fizzle out. One guy at Kansas, his name is Joseph Yesifu. He was at Drake last year in the NCAA tournament. You know, he helped, he helped Drake with Darnell Brody to a win. Yep. Now he's at Kansas. He's off the face of the earth. He's all, he doesn't play a role on that team. That's one of many examples of that happens. I'll give the staff credit. They've done a nice job. Like when they bring in a transfer, they do what they can to get them to be part of the equation. Trey Jackson is the single most, it's the single best example of anybody. Like, how good has Trey Jackson been for this team in some big games? When oh, his he's had shooting massive is, moments, John. When his shot is falling, oh, good night. It opens um, for a defense. I don't know what you do because you already got Richmond and Roden to deal with. And Obiago and Yetna put pressure on the rim, if nothing else. So they, this staff, Harris has been good here in recent weeks. Chris, they needed him to be good. If he weren't good right now, Seton Hall would be an eleven. They'd be firmly on the bubble. Instead, they're in that 8-9 game. And I know fans don't want to be in the 8-9, but you know what you hope for? You hope you win both this week, you gain some respect, and you get up to that 7 line. That's what you hope for. We'll see. I, I think that's fair, John. You know, no one wants to be on the 8-9 line. Uh, but at the not. end of the day, yeah, but at the end of the day, though, John, you know, this team obviously has to take care of business against Georgetown. They can't have a letdown. They, you know, you want them to go in and get a big win at Creighton to finish out the regular season. You know, but at Looking at this team right now going into the Big East tournament, you mentioned earlier, this is a team you see could win the Big East tournament. What do you expect from this team, though, realistically, overall in the Big East tournament? And what can help them get to that uh, number seven seed in the, in the NCAA tournament? Yeah, I think that getting if they win both this week and win a Big East quarterfinal, I think it'd be hard to not put them up to the seven line. That that would be good enough to get them there. Because at that point... You're talking about a team that would be let's think let's think about this for for a moment here. You're talking about a team that played a quality schedule that racked up several big time wins early in the year that 
is in a current place where they sit 18 and 9. If they have 21 wins, I'll set 21 as the magic number to get up to the seven line. If they are finishing 21 and 10 with the kind of league schedule this year and with the kind of out of conference and Chris, they could still say to the committee, and I think this will get brought up. Hey, we played multiple games without our full team. It's true. That has to still get taken into account. Because if you were taking that into account, I think your consensus would be, yeah, they are, they are a six or a seven when you think about it. So if they win three of their last four, so what I'm saying is if they win the two this week, they win a quarterfinal in the Big East, I'm not counting a potential first-round game. Because if you win your last two here, you're probably going to be in the quarterfinals. Because Creighton, I don't think Creighton's going to beat UConn. So when people are like, what about a first-round game? No, I'm, I'm, I'm axing that. I think that Seton Hall has every chance in the world to be in the 4-5 or five game in the Big East tournament. If they beat Creighton on Saturday, Creighton right now is reeling. They're well-coached, but they don't have a lot of ways they can score the ball. You win that game, you're in a 4-5 or five game. You win that game, Seton Hall could be in a Big East semifinal facing Providence. Now, I don't know about you, but I'd like the Pirates' chances in that game. I think every Pirate fan should want to sign up for that at this point. You sign up for that. Think about that, folks. Yes. Think about that. Could this team make it to Big East Championship Saturday night? There's a path. And once you get there, anything can happen. We've been a part of championship games of coverage and being at the Garden. You never know. You never know. You know, and Seton Hall's beaten UConn. They came close to beating Villanova. Look, they, they are, on their best day, they are the third best team in this conference. And sometimes they that's are. all you need. That's all you need in, in one week in New York City. That's all you need. Yeah. So, and if, they, if they're really that good, they, they might be the best in the tournament. But I think this team just has to go three and one in their next four games. That's my, that is my belief, to get up to the seven line. So, you know, with it being the final stretch of the regular season, what are the big games in your mind that are coming up that fans should kind of be keeping an eye on? Because there's always some. There might not be a lot because a lot of stuff's already kind of decided. But where, yep. where, where's your mind looking at right now as games have to watch? Well, Tuesday night, you've got Providence at Villanova. Now, Providence has already locked up the regular season championship. But what's this rematch going to look like with Villanova? It doesn't have the same meaning, but it does from a national seed perspective. From an NCAA tournament seeding perspective, who wins that game? What's it look like? I think Villanova probably gets him again, but we'll see. We'll see. So hard to win at the Finneran Pavilion. Um, elsewhere, you have St. John's and Xavier on Wednesday night. They're actually battling. They're tied right now in the standings. Um, they are, they're evened up, I think. Uh, I don't know if I looked at that before St. John's loss or after St. John's loss. But they're neck and neck. That's now a huge game. That's now a huge game uh, coming up on Wednesday night when Xavier travels to St. John's. St. John's beat Xavier in Cincinnati. Yeah, St. John's and Xavier are both 7-10 and 10 right now in the league. So that's Wednesday night. And then this weekend, I mean, you, you think about the schedule here. And Seton Hall at Creighton is the marquee game on Saturday because it could be a playoff game. But then you've got Villanova at Butler. Keep an eye on it because for whatever reason, Villanova has had tons of troubles at Hinkle Fieldhouse. They really struggle at Hinkle. St. John's at Marquette. You know, Marquette's got to, 
Marquette's in a, an okay place. They're like a seventh seed in a lot of bracketologies. That'll be an interesting game, though, because I think St. John's matches up okay with Marquette. So the other one I'm watching Wednesday, if you're a Seton Hall fan, is UConn at Creighton. You know, UConn at Creighton is huge because if Creighton wins, they're going to keep Seton Hall from getting in the top five. If UConn wins, Seton Hall fans should be UConn fans here this week. And then to, to culminate everything, Duke, Carolina, Saturday night, Coach K, Cameron Indoor. We don't need to say anything else than that. Fair enough, John. <laughs> that, 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 that's all it is. Uh, but yeah, you know, I, John, I, when we wrap up the men's side here, so I want to get to the Seno women's team a little bit too because they've just been absolutely incredible so far uh, this down the stretch. But to me, John, this is the first year. I don't know who is in my gut is a favorite to really win the big East tournament. I mean, we yeah. talked about it a little bit earlier. I mean, personally, I think there's, there's something about UConn this year where I think that they can get hot in the tournament. I think they're well coached. Their fans are going to show up to the games. Is there a team that really stands out to you that, you know, people should really be surprised that could actually make a good per- push. You said there's up five teams this year that you could see winning it. Uh, do you, do you have a team that you really think can really make that big push down the stretch? Well, here's the thing. It wouldn't surprise me if Villanova won the Big East tournament because they've won it so much, and they have Colin Gillespie, who might be the best point guard in America. So would that surprise me? The question is, would it surprise you? That wouldn't surprise me. Providence winning it wouldn't surprise me. They've played 27 games. They've won 24 of them. They just know how to win. That doesn't surprise me. UConn would surprise me a little bit because um, I, I think they're talented, but on the offensive end of the floor, they can be limited. Like after RJ Cole, Tyrese Martin, Adama Sonogo, that supporting cast is very inconsistent. If they put together three nights of the Garden and win the Big East tournament, that would be a bit surprising to me. But if they do, the Garden would be absolutely bonkers nuts because it would be their arrival, really, and their coronation, their, their trophy presentation um, in the Big East and their return. Seton Hall. It would probably surprise a lot of people, but it wouldn't surprise me. But does Seton Hall have the ingredients to do it? Okay, they have an elite wing. They play pretty good defense. They have a top 25 defense in the country, according to Ken Baum. They are a top 10 average height team in college basketball. That, that pays off. You're going to be able to defend pretty much anybody. The key for them is, will Kadari Richmond perform like a maestro that we've seen in Madison Square Garden before? He doesn't have to be as good. But can he give Seton Hall what Isaiah Whitehead and what Kadari Richmond were giving Seton Hall at the point guard, or what Kadeen Carrington were giving Seton Hall at the point guard position in those runs to championships or to championship games? Would it surprise me if Seton Hall came out on top? No. The one team that I could see still putting together a nice Big East tournament run is Marquette. That team is dangerous. They play a really good style that lends itself to staying in games. They run you up and down. They defend hard. And Chris, Justin Lewis could be the best player in this league. He is special. He is big time. They have a veteran guard in Daryl Morsell. Watch out for Marquette. They could be that team. I want to shift gears, John, over to the, the women's side. And I just think where this team was before their incredible stretch of winning eight games over the past nine, uh, ravaged with shutdowns because of COVID. Uh, So much has happened to the Seton Hall women's basketball team, but they have really prevailed. I mean, most recently, just a shocking win 
at DePaul. It was a massive victory, the 94 to 90 win. Lauren Park Lane had 31 points and a dominant performance. There's now 16 and 11 overall and 11 to 8 in Big East play. What do you make of this incredible stretch? Because they've really just shown lately that they are the team that people thought they could be at the beginning of the season. They are a special team that's playing great basketball at the right time. And I'll tell you what, Lauren Park Lane is one of the most talented players in women's college basketball. And she does not get spoken enough about. The job that she does as this team's point guard is nothing short of amazing. At her height, and to a, a, a fan who's just listening for the first time and hasn't heard much about, she's five foot six, folks. Five foot six. She uses the five foot six height to her advantage. Her elusiveness in the lane, her ability to play make, her shot making ability has gotten better. You know, on Friday night, she goes five for eight from three. That might be the biggest key, Chris, to the Pirates is her ability to hit shots from distance. This is a team that, that to me, has found itself and in, in, in a rhythm on the offensive end of the floor. And then that's, that's allowing them to play better defense because they're, they're making shots. It's quite simple sometimes. It's a, it's a make-or-miss league. And for Seton Hall, they've been able to find a really nice connection that starts with Park Lane. I think Sydney Cooks, the Mississippi State transfer, has gotten better and better as the season's gone on. She goes for 25-10. and 10. Uh, after a big game against Butler, she was sensational for Seton Hall last week. And Andre Espinosa Hunter is Andre Espinosa Hunter. She's the Jared Roden of Seton Hall. She's a great uh, of the women's team. Great wing, makes things happen. I think the X factor for them is the junior Maya Jackson. She comes up with 16 points, goes five of eight from the floor to beat DePaul. When they get Jackson going and they have a four-headed offensive monster between Park Lane, Cooks, Jackson, Espinosa Hunter. They're a dangerous team. So they are on track to be the sixth seed in the Big East tournament. And that would set them up for a matchup with Creighton, who's been the team they just they haven't been able to get past much. But that that leads itself to a huge Saturday night game at Mohegan Sun right around 9:30 over on Fox Sports 2. Seton Hall and Creighton for a second straight year in the quarters. That could be a massive game because the winner then gets Villanova. And I'll tell you, if Seton Hall on the women's side, if they, if they beat Butler in the first round game, Chris, and then they beat Creighton, and if they were to find a way to get past Villanova on a neutral floor, like at that point, we'd be talking about 11, game, 11 wins in 12 games. You know, they, they don't have a great resume because in the non-conference, they got ravaged by stuff. But man, I want to, I'll tell Seton Hall fans this. I think this is probably a team that's going to host WNIT games. Get to Walsh gym and see them play. They're a really fun team to watch. And offensively they're when they're in rhythm, it's high level. So, Hey, anything could go in a conference tournament. You never know. Of course, Connecticut and Paige Beckers are at the top, but your, your goal now is you're not in the four or five game by being the six, you benefit because you avoid UConn until the championship game. And who knows what happens? It's sports. So the Pirates could be a dark horse. They really could be. Yeah, I, th- I think, you know, it's a l- too little too late unless if everything goes fantastic for them down the stretch of this, of this non-conference and, like, you know, into the tournament season. But WNIT, I think, is very realistic right now for this team. I think it's honestly one of the most impressive seasons Coach Bazell has put together. I think the way this team started to where they finished, 
you know, I had Maya Jackson on here a couple of weeks ago. I think she's fantastic. Uh, she, you know, Lauren Park Lane's a junior. Th- there's a lot of the core players coming back next year, which I think is just going to make this team that much more dangerous. Uh, and, you know, just one final thing, John, the, the Pirates, you know, over here, senior day. It's, it's a big day. There's a lot of seniors being discussed for the men's side. And um, what is your message to the fan base? Because, you know, recently fan attendance hasn't been great. Now, you know, it could be because of, you know, restrictions with COVID at the Prudential Center, but a lot of that stuff has now been opened up. How important is it to go out there this Wednesday night and support these guys? It is vital. Vital that the fan base gets in the stands on Wednesday night. Miles Kale has been as important a piece to Seton Hall's ability to win games over the last half decade as anybody. He is such a a valuable piece to the Seton Hall Pirates and has been throughout his career. If for no one else, like if you were to to think about senior night, Miles Kale is He's, he's got to be a crowd favorite for the career he's had, for the way he's represented the university. But then you look at the other seniors on this team, and they deserve it too, of course. They really, really do. This team is going to go dancing. Seton Hall University is going back to the NCAA tournament in 2022. Get there. Get to the rock. If you're a fan, this is the time of year that you sign up for. So it starts Wednesday. That's your first game in March. Forget about the opponents. Georgetown's trying to win too. And Chris, my deepest fear is at some point they're going to win a game. If you're a Seton Hall fan, you're thinking the same thing. At some point, you're going to win a game. Who knows when it'll come, but you feel like they will. Those fans need to pack the stands. And and look, I'm not going to tell you what you should do with your money or, or all that. I'm not getting into that. I'm just saying, folks, if you've gone to games before this year, get there. This is what it's about. Tickets are not through the roof expensive. Find a way to get into the building on Wednesday night and give these seniors the send-off they deserve. They pour their time, their heart, into being a team that succeeds. Around the metropolitan area, there's not many teams that are going to be dancing or that are locks in the NCAA tournament. Locks. That bid was locked up Saturday. Give this team as a whole a round of applause for locking up an NCAA tournament berth and, and ring in March with them. So that's my message to Seton Hall fans. Get out, come in droves, make it, make it a loud atmosphere, and give these seniors what they deserve. They've given you wins. They're going to give you another proud moment on Selection Sunday. Chris, as an alum like me, is there anything better than seeing and hearing Greg Gumbel say, and out of this region, the Seton Hall University Pirates. You know, hearing that always resonates with me because it's like that. I got a degree from there. That's that's my alma mater. If you're a fan, celebrate that Wednesday. If you don't get out to other games or you can't get to the Big East tournament or the NCAA tournament, here's your chance. If you're in Jersey, wear blue and be there Wednesday night. That's my message to people. I had to wait seven years, six years after being there as a student from undergrad and grad to hear that for the first time. So I, I hear you loud and clear, John. It, it makes a big difference. Show that school pride. And John, as we close up here, just real quick, like we did last year, a couple of rapid fire questions with you because I think you are just great at these. So right off the bat, Saturday night following the Big East Tournament Championship game, 
You did all this content, interviews, recaps. You're probably exhausted. You probably don't even know what day of the week it is anymore, but you earn yourself a great meal in the city. Where are you going and what are you eating and drinking? Wow. I go to Forlini's on the West side. I have a great Italian meal, Forlini's, F-O-R-L-I-N-I. It's Italian food. It's old school Italian, great chicken franchise. Is Tom Brady actually retired? No. He's going to come back and play somewhere, somehow, something. It's going to happen. Yeah, I know. He's ruining my, my next season, too. I already know it. Uh, <laughs> MLB, are we going to actually get anything close to a full season? No, nothing close to it. Disaster. Absolute dumpster fire. Uh, Rob Manfred's going to go down as one of the worst commissioners, if not the worst commissioner in the history of professional sports. It's going to kill the game. Who is better at math, John Fanta or Michael Enzi? <laughs> Michael Enzi by a wide margin. I, I had to ride Michael Enzi's coattails to get an okay grade from Matt Geibel. <laughs> Finally, I know you're a busy man. Anything exciting you, for you coming up uh, with the next couple of weeks? Obviously the tournaments, but is there anything you're really looking forward to doing over that stretch? I cannot wait to travel back to the NCAA tournament. I mean, I'm really excited to do it. It's been a couple years. I did it last year, but it wasn't the same. It, it just it didn't even feel real. Uh, I love getting out to a city and just being on the ground with the team, getting to press conferences, getting quotes, getting stories done. It's, it's what I live for. Uh, I, I love that time of year. And I don't think there, there won't be open locker rooms, but there will be different ways for us to cover the team and to be on site. I can't wait for a normal big dance, Chris. It feels like a light at the end of the tunnel of what's been a great season. The tunnel's awesome, but the light at the end of it's even better. So I'm excited to get out and cover the big dance and people can follow me on Twitter. That's where I do a ton of content too. During the NCAA tournament, we get a lot of, of interesting looks at teams and, and I'll give my commentary on situations, all that jazz. John Fanta, who I'm proud to say has become the voice of the Big East Conference. If you do not already follow him, be sure to follow him on Twitter at John underscore Fanta for all the latest Big East Conference news, including his latest work, podcast appearances, interviews, and you name it. John, my man, uh, this has been great. Appreciate you coming on Courtside Pirates. It was also great to see you recently in person. Stay safe. Have a ton of fun. It's going to be a busy couple weeks for you. Thanks so much, Chris. Appreciate you. This brings us to our closing segment, Courtside Perspective. Special thanks again to Seton Hall and WSU's very own John Fanta, who covered so much with us today on both the Seton Hall men's and women's basketball programs. It is the most exciting time of year as the regular season is coming to a close and the Big East tournament set to begin and the start of March Madness. It is going to be a wild one for Pirates fans. And be sure to follow me on Twitter at Pazis for updates throughout the season. The next episode of Courtside Pirates will air following Sinal's home game versus Georgetown and road game against Creighton. Again, my name is Chris Pazes. Thank you for listening. We will see you next time on Courtside Pirates. <laughs>